This is the Writer Who Reads podcast coming to you direct from New Orleans, Louisiana. Hello. Hi. This is Kate Austin, the writer who doesn't read enough. And this is Trapper Kinchin, the writer who does not write enough. And welcome to part two of our Secrets-themed episodes. Um, The first one was a little bit long, so we decided to break this out into a second part. And, yeah. Yeah, you're responsible for the second part, and I have to say, very soulful, Mm. inspiring. Yes. Secretive. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It was a good choice. I love the author you chose. I think that you did a wonderful analysis. Gave me a lot to think about. And I can't wait for you all who are listening to learn about a little known but well-deserving author. Yes. So, yeah. Stay tuned. Here's part two. Okay. So, who have you chosen, madam? Today, for our first podcast, I have chosen Angelina Weld Grimke. Grim K? Grim Key? What is it? Tell me there's an accent. There's an accent over the E. Okay. Sometimes. I would say Grim Key. Okay. So we're going to stick with Grim Key today. Yeah, and this is someone I've never heard of, which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, before today, I, well, not today, but before I started <laughs> doing research, I'd never heard of her before somehow. Yeah. If you think that we are pronouncing the last name wrong, write us a l- really nice note. We're not phonetic scholars so no. we can't let's get rid of we should be but yeah but we're not but we're not i think grimkey is safe if Grimke, not yeah then, you know we okay. can always do a print a correction yeah exactly <laughs> a voice correction anyway so i'm gonna start by telling you a little bit about her i love it angelina wild grimkey was an african-american dramatist poet and playwright born in boston massachusetts on february 27th 1880 to Archibald Grimke and Sarah Stanley. Her father was born a slave, the son of Nancy Weston, a slave, and Henry Grimke, her owner. Do we know anything about that relationship? <sighs> no. And it's, I, I always assume that it was an unfair relationship. Non-consensual or yeah. at least imbalanced. Yeah, exactly. You have an owner and a slave who's yeah, not free. The word owner, I think, sums up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you, you can't have... A completely consensual relationship. So we don't know how the conditions under which he was brought into no. the world. No, and all the research I did, there was no one who, who said anything about okay. it. But um, I did see that her, her father, um, Archibald, mm-hmm. his middle name was Henry. So Archibald Henry Grimke. So he was named after his father in a way. But I don't know how much control his mother had over his name. Right. But if she did, you know, that's a way to honor someone, to sure. name them after someone else. So Interesting. Yeah. So when Henry Grimke died, Archibald spent eight years free until his abusive half-brother took him and his brother as slaves. Archibald escaped and was finally able to live as a free man after Union forces took Charleston in 1865. He later became the second black person to graduate from Harvard Law School and had a long, successful career working as a civil rights activist, attorney, writer, and diplomat, becoming one of the founders of the NAACP. I did not know that. Yes. Angelina's mother, Sarah Stanley, was a white scholar who we don't have nearly as much information on. We know she struggled with being in an interracial relationship and eventually separated from Archibald Grimke. Some sources say that she left and took Angelina with her, later returning Angelina to her father four years later. 
And we do know that Sarah Stanley eventually relocated to San Diego, California, where she lectured on occult subjects and didn't really maintain contact with her daughter. That's very strange. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. <laughs> so while we're here to talk about Angelina Weld Grimke, her complex family history is it's not only interesting, but it could help us speculate on what may have motivated some of her writing. Mm-hmm. Angelina is named after her great aunt, Angelina Emily Grinke, who married Theodore Weld. This is a white woman, correct? Yes. So this is like her father's father's. You know, people. I tried to like break this down in my head and I just kept hitting a wall and I was like, look. They're just related. <laughs> They're just related. But yeah, it's her great aunt okay. who is white and the aunt's father owned a plantation. And this is in South Carolina, correct? Yeah, that's right. South Carolina. Okay. So, Angelina Emily Grimke and her sister Sarah Grimke were prominent abolitionists who came from a plantation and slave-owning family in South Carolina. As Southern women, they tried to appeal to other Southern women who may have grown up in similar circumstances, which made them very unpopular in their hometown. Mm, I can imagine. Yeah. So, it's this legacy that Angelina Weld Grimke grew under. Uh, She was educated in some of the best schools available to African-Americans and attended the Boston Normal School of Gymnastics, which later became Wellesley. Say it. Wellesley. Wellesley. One of the seven sisters. There's an easier way to spell Wellesley. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) Try and spell Mount Holyoke. (laughs) I can't. Um, College. Well, we've established that we cannot do math and we cannot spell. I yeah. cannot spell. Or say things. Yeah, that's true. Grim K. <laughs> Editing, yay. <laughs> After graduating in 1902, Angelina moved to Washington, D.C. and took a position at a vocational school teaching physical education. During this time, Angelina had a few poems published in Boston and Washington, D.C., mostly having her work published in black journals. Much of her work confronted the injustices faced by African Americans, which some considered radical and likely to incite violence. Her work, you're telling me, was considered incendiary. Yes, by people who felt threatened by black people resisting (laughs) racial injustice. Um, You know what I mean? She wasn't, like, actually inciting violence. Absolutely not, no. It's just, you know, the people in power feeling threatened. Yeah. Yeah, so. Regardless, Angelina continued to write and live a relatively quiet life as a teacher. During the summer, she began taking classes at Harvard University and soon after began to teach English. One of the schools where Grimke taught was actually the M Street High School, where many writers of the Harlem Renaissance also taught. So they were, you know, in contact. So that's really inspiring for writers to be around other writers. One of her more popular works was Rachel, a play written in response to a call created by W.E.B. Du Bois. <laughs> I like have a weird accent when I say the name. Say it. I think you did well. W.E.B. Du Bois. Pretend that was my voice. And the NAACP's mission to create powerful black art in protest of the racist film The Birth of a Nation. Grimke's work was featured in publications such as Negro Poets and Their Poems in 1923, The Poetry of the Negro in 1949, edited by Langston Hughes, and Caroling Dusk in 1927, edited by County Cullen. While she wasn't considered a part of the Harlem Renaissance, Angelina Grimke is often referred to as one of the forerunners and mothers of the movement, respected by writers such as Langston Hughes and County Cullen. 
Grimke retired from teaching in 1926 to take care of her father. After Archibald Grimke died in 1930, Angelina moved to New York where she lived a rather secluded life and did not publish again. Angelina Well Grimke never married and died in New York on June 10, 1958. Okay, so I'm kind of curious. You said she never married. Nope. Do we have any evidence of any form of relationship? Yes, we do. Some very interesting evidence. Um, So I want to say it was speculated that she was a a lesbian, but okay, that's just like being safe. But because she never publicly, I guess I don't even say came out. But you're beating around a bush. I am. I am. (laughs) What's hiding behind it? Because I, I guess I'm reflecting her hesitance to even be too outward um, with her sexual desires. Is this tying into our theme of secrecy? It is. Okay. Absolutely. And she, there were reasons why she did this. Okay. Um, so there are a lot of letters out there. And actually I have an excerpt from one. Um, a lot of love letters to unnamed women. And we know they're written to women? Yes. Okay. Um, were found. And one of them, though, was to Mamie Burrell. Okay. Um, and this is like an adolescent relationship. Wow. So I'll read a little bit. I'd love to hear it because I'm curious about how innocent this is. Exactly, and it's very it's very direct. Okay, you know, there's no doubt that there's romance here. Okay. My own darling Mamie, if you will allow me to be so familiar to call you such, I hope, my darling, you will not be offended if your ardent lover calls you such familiar names. Oh, Mamie, if you only knew how my heart beats when I think of you, and it yearns and pants to gaze if only for one second upon your lovely face. If there were any trouble in this wide and wicked world from which I might shield you, how gladly would I do it if it were even so great a thing as to lay down my life for you. I know you are too young now to become my wife, but I hope, my darling, that in a few years you will come to me and be my love, my wife. How my brain whirls, how my pulse leaps with joy and madness when I think of these two words, my wife. So that's authentic. That's when you when you st- I gotta like my mind's a little blown here. <laughs> Full disclosure to anybody listening, we don't look at each other's stuff prior to this. Like this is something yeah. that's new. This to is me. the first time you're hearing this. So when you started reading, I was doing the um, English student like okay, I need to pick out the couple of words that might be pertinent to a discussion that we can that I'm like I'm like okay, yearning, mm-hmm. you know, uh, protect you. I'm like this is going. This can be interpreted as something beyond friendship. Yes. <laughs> My wife. Mm-hmm. I was. I, I'm really flabbergasted. Yeah. <sighs> Do you know anything about the context of this? This is exciting me. Like I'm. I'm flustered. <laughs> yeah. When when I was researching this, it was very um, innocent. You know, you didn't get the impression that this was anything more than like, oh, you know, like when you're you're an adolescent mm-hmm. and you're like in school and you're just obsessed with someone. Yeah, sure. And I think it was. Even more exciting because during this time, you know, lesbianism is just this big, terrible, secret thing uh, that, you know, you just can't express. So to be that young, yeah, to have all these hormones, to realize that you're different and to kind of have to embrace it in a way before you can even like, you know, approach it. And then you find someone else who's the same way. And then, you know, you, you like them and you start getting like really really excited and obsessed like i just i don't know there's a huge level of boldness yeah i mean to 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 put pen to paper and to say something like 
I can't wait for you to be my love, my wife. And stick it in the mail. Yeah, because I'm thinking, let's get real. We live in an age where something like that being uttered mm-hmm. when we were kids mm-hmm. was unfathomable. Unfathomable. Exactly. And to think this woman was living 100 years prior to that mm-hmm. and putting this down and sending it to someone. Yeah. The level of boldness is intense. And it really, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming this was a sort of reciprocated thing. This is not her writing to a crush. There was definitely a, a relationship going on because the danger of that. And and when we talk more after I okay. do my readings, you'll see a lot about how she never, like I said before, she never came out. She never, you know, lived outwardly as a lesbian woman. Um, and I think that was to do with a lot of how she'd be seen on the outside, okay. you know, the family that she comes from. You know, these like really respected abolitionists who who worked very hard. Her father, the second black man to graduate from Harvard Law, who had this incredible career, very accomplished. Was Mamie Burrell a woman of color? Do we know? I believe so. Okay. I know that may not be pertinent, but it's just interest I'm just interested. And so she was just a like a girl writing these things. Mm-hmm. And and I mean this is like I said, a letter to a named person. There are some that have unnamed women that she's written to. Wow. Yeah. So she had romantic... I mean, do any of them suggest sexual feelings towards women? No, but I was looking over this again. You know how my heart beats when I think of you and it yearns and pants to gaze. Pant and yearn are... I mean, we're talking... Hey, we're talking as 21st century. We're desensitized to uh, many things. But mm-hmm. when we hear yearn and pant... Just pant alone. And exactly. then gaze. It's very visual. It's animalistic. These yeah. are words that are like... 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 Um, predatory, but in like a in a non dangerous way, um, and I think it's intense. I mean, maybe I mean maybe she because she's fourteen, she's using language that's a heightened level of melodramatic romance because maybe she's read that sort of literature, seen it in a book, and it was romantic. Yeah, and, you know, just... but still, she's utilizing something she's that feeling she did it. Yeah. read in a book mm-hmm. would have been like something said. From a hero to a heroine yeah. in a very passionate way. Exactly. I mean, I'm, I'm blown away. Willa Cather, never. <laughs> it's, it's not as Sent anything like that obvious. to anybody. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she still lived with a woman for she did, the yeah. majority of her life, right? But this is intense stuff. It's, yeah, it is. And it's. It. I think it's a little even more sad because she, she didn't have a, a partner as Willa Cather seemed to have. Yeah, at least a, a companion, a life companion. Exactly. Does any of her work reflect the sort of homoeroticism that her letters suggest? It does. Okay. And you know, it's so much of, of what she's written, like Rachel, what she's most known for, the play that she yeah. wrote, is, is about civil rights and social justice. Okay. Rachel is about black women who choose not to have children because they don't want them to be raised in this terrible reality, mm-hmm. you know, that, that black people were living in. So it was a powerful play. And that's important, I think, to bear in mind also. You've got somebody who is functioning within one realm of otherness Mm -hmm. compared to, I mean, otherness being a term that indicates I am not a member of the active majority. Mm -hmm. Um, So she's a person of color. She's dealing with that in a time where there's a great deal of violence and subjugation going on. And to layer on top of that another less acknowledged level of otherness. Yeah, and when you, when you look at just like the plight of black people. Yeah. 
from the beginning of American history has been terrible and horrible. And there's this community. You have these black people who know what you're going through. And you come together as this big community. As a lesbian, in a time when it was, you know, dangerous to be out and, and find other lesbians, you don't have this as big of a community. Everything was underground. Yeah. So and to have those two things, mm-hmm. imagine that having to cope with. Yeah. yeah, and I I am a black queer woman, so I understand in a lot of ways. I am gifted to be born and, and living when when I am. Yeah, but absolutely, you know, I agree. Definitely relate, and that's definitely one of the reasons why I chose her. So I'm going to get into my reading, yes. and we can talk more about this I can't after. Wait to hear. Selected poems by Angelina Weld Grimke. Tenebris. There is a tree by day that at night has a shadow, a hand huge and black with fingers long and black. All through the dark against the white man's house and the little wind, the black hand plucks and plucks at the bricks. The bricks are the color of blood and very small. Is it a black hand or is it a shadow? At April. Toss your gay heads, brown girl trees. Toss your gay, lovely heads. Shake your downy, russet curls all about your brown faces. Stretch your brown, slim bodies. Stretch your brown, slim arms. Stretch your brown, slim toes. Who knows better than we, with the dark, dark bodies, what it means when April comes a-laughing and a-weeping, once again at our hearts. Give me your eyes. Give me your eyes. I do not ask to touch the hands of you, the mouth of you, soft and sweet and fragrant though they be. No, lift your eyes to mine. Give me but one last look ere I step forth forever. Even though within that moment's crashing space, I shall know all of life and death and heaven and hell. Rosabelle. Leaves that whisper, whisper ever, listen, listen, pray. Birds that twitter, twitter softly, do not say me nay. Winds that breathe about upon her, since I do not dare. Whisper, twitter, breathe unto her, that I find her fair. Rose whose soul unfolds white petaled, touch her soul, rose white. Rose whose thoughts unfold gold-petaled, blossom in her sight. Rose whose heart unfolds red-petaled, quick her slow heart stir. Tell her white gold-red my love is, and for her, for her. Okay, I want to say this first of all. (laughs) I am not the most keen on poetry, Uh as well you know. Yes. Rosabelle, that last one you just read? Yes. Goosebumps. Incredible. I literally, I'm telling you the hair on my arms has stood on end. Yeah. It's the first poem I read of hers. It's how I came across her. Okay. And it's it's incredible. It's crazy. It it's makes wonderful. sense that that, has, that triggered you for this um, themed episode because the symbolism in that is pretty potent. Absolutely. I mean, goodness gracious. Yes. Petals. And as we were talking before, when we were saying we're kind of desensitized to a lot of things yes. nowadays. But back then, you know, just the the symbolism, the use of color, 
And, you know, she kind of lists these colors and kind of what they mean. And then at the end where she just ties them all together, tell her white, gold, red, my love is, and for her, for her. It's like the epitome of romance for me. (laughs) I'm just like smitten. That's exquisite. Yeah, and it does more than, I guess, dirty words whispered in your ears. Hey, you just nailed it. (laughs) I mean, look, poetry is hardly used these days as as like a way of making love or to seduce. Yes. That makes a fabulous case for the reintroduction to poetry in romance. So here's my address, everyone, if you want to send me a love poem. <laughs> and me also. You can put in, in care of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I came across this uh, initially, and it's, it's not something that you would expect to find mm-hmm. when you first start researching Angelina Wall Grimke, because she was such a uh, you know, activist. The majority of her writing was about race and race issues. And of course you can see that in a couple of the other poems. Yes, of course. The first one I read, Tenebris. It's very, very direct. That's the one where the hand is plucking at the house. Yes, the white man's house. So she's being very blatant. Mm -hmm. And the bricks are the color of blood. Right. There's there's history. There is. I I don't want to assume anything. It's a poem. It's short. But the hands are plucking at the bricks. Yes. The hands that are working on the house that might have built the foundation of that house, that white man's house. And is it a black hand or is it a shadow? Is it a shadow? Mm-hmm. There's a lot there. That was telling. I agree. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't want to neglect the topic of her her writing on race. And I and I would say, <clears throat> I mean, this is my interpretation. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was the second one you read, um, Brown Bodied. At April. At April. Okay. To me, I, I think that is, uh, is something that s- sort of um, smacks of empowerment, mm-hmm. value in your body, mm-hmm. uh, joyful expression through your body, which is frankly undervalued by society, Absolutely. ignored by society. Uh-huh. But there's a little bit of eroticism to it as well, mm-hmm. the way she describes the movements. Um, yes. I should say sensuality more yeah. than eroticism. And the stretching. Stretch yes. your brown slim body, stretch your brown slim arms. It's mm-hmm. like... That could be erotic, but it could also be like, oh my gosh, there's freedom. freedom. We're wonderful, you know. And she, you know, in that being said, she has tied it to the earth in that she's comparing them to trees. Mm, yes. So they're anchored and grounded uh-huh. in a very. I mean, when you think of a tree, um, it's hard to think of a tree as anything other than wholesome of its own, like exactly. without tying anything to it. So it's it's kind of like um, the greatest. I don't know how to phrase this intelligently but it's like the the thing that the earth produces that is the, the largest is uh-huh. a tree and uh-huh. the most uh, refreshing and it provides shade mm. and it provides fruits mm-hmm. and it provides oxygen oxygen <laughs> so it's a multi-purpose thing but yeah trees are also extraordinarily free mm-hmm. and exactly. unencumbered so yeah. um Man, we could really get into that because yeah. they can also be cut down and stuff like that. Exactly. But. You know, I was I was talking. I have friends visiting New Orleans, and they were just looking at how the trees grow up and they like buckle the sidewalks. Right. And it, you know, that's incredible strength. Exactly. To push concrete up. So that's yes. another another thing. Anchored strong trees that'll grow no matter what. Hey, no matter what confines them. And talking about the trees down here, the beauty of particular particularly our live oaks, which mm. we are famous for. Yes. Those things. I mean, if you especially go down to the, the coast, they're hundreds of years old and no hurricane has taken them out. They just twist. Mm-hmm. And they weigh thousands of pounds, you know? And so you're right. They're nature's <laughs> batter, like the battery wall for nature. Exactly. But they, they, it's hard to take one town. 
So I love that poem. And, uh, and it yeah. is the kind of melding of that, you know, I'm black and I'm queer, and right. this is what I'm writing about. Exactly. And it reminds me somewhat of our current black girl magic movement. It's like, let down your russet curls. Right. You know, be free. Toss yes. your gay heads. Be, be the carefree black woman. Absolutely. And yeah, I, I, I love that. Okay, so uh, you referenced that she was a quadroon. She was a fourth black. I've not seen a picture of her, but I'm assuming she was not someone who necessarily passed for white. No, she looks like a black woman. So when we're talking about her secrets, we're mostly talking about her queerness. Not yes. her being like a, co- a, a covert, like, oh, I'm black, but like nobody needs to know about it. Yeah, no. This, is a, this was a black woman, a black woman who happened to be sort of secretly queer. Yeah, okay. exactly. That's and she was a proud black woman. You know, she, she wrote far. about being black and yeah. Mm-hmm. Did she have siblings or were, was she an only child? She was an only child because her parents were only, they were married for three years. Interesting. Yeah, before the marriage kind of. So hit. she genuinely was an only child. She was. Not a sibling. And she was very close to her father, which I think is a major reason why she was so secretive with her queerness. Okay. Because he had this really, I don't want to say high moral compass. But he didn't um, believe in. He had. He was maybe perhaps interested in respect in presenting respectability. Yeah, and his ideas of respectability I, weren't the same as hers. Old-fashioned. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So she died in 1958. You said. Yes. How old was she? She was 78 when she died. Okay, so she lived a relatively long life. Mm-hmm. And so in 1958, she was right on the, right on the precipice. Of when the civil rights movement threw itself into the zeitgeist, mm. look, this is about the big shift happened because we're thinking 1965 is when the civil rights act passed. Yes, but she was like you say a forebearer and an influential member in um, the coming tidal wave of civil rights. Exactly. Interesting. And, and they, call, I found her initially because I was looking for writers who were associated with the Harlem Renaissance. Okay. And she, she's very close to that time. Yes. When she started first being published, I think that was like 30 years before the Harlem Renaissance was considered to have begun. Okay. So I'm excited to get your take on Grimke's writing style because when I took a poetry workshop, and I don't think that you took I one. I never took one. They were very adamant about not letting us rhyme okay. and <laughs> not letting us do things that... I guess now are really considered very um, cliche almost. Right. Like if you rely too heavily on <laughs> nature imagery and even color. Okay. And our, our favorite poem is Rosabelle. Sure. And she uses roses and rose petals and colors. Color. Yeah. Some rhythm to it also. Yeah, exactly. And those are the things I love about her work. And maybe it's because I was slapped on the wrist for, for doing anything remotely close to it. Right. And she does it so elegantly and timelessly so mm-hmm. I want to know if you picked up on those things and if you love those things about her writing well I'm glad you said all that because it gives me a nice segue to say it bums me out when professors say things like don't write a rhyming poem mm-hmm. I want to say go read Splendor in the Grass and tell me not to read a rhyming poem like write a rhyming poem uh-huh. you know what I mean um, I think that poetry is a form of self-expression and she certainly used it as a conduit through which to express what she had welling up. This was like a geyser of emotion that mm-hmm. this woman had. Yeah. And 
especially when we're talking about a queer context, a lesbian context, mm-hmm. I think when you, I mean, flowers are so synonymous with so many different facets of the female femaleness, yeah. the anatomy. Uh, a rose by any other name would still smell as sweet. Mm-hmm. We're talking about every aspect of womanhood, so I think it's appropriate, and um, I think the use of color. The direct use of color, too, it's not even in, like, a flowery way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pardon the pun. Mm-hmm. You know, by saying, like, red, gold. And there's something to that harsh timber. Bum, 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 bum. That mimics a heartbeat, I think, when you oh, read it. Wow. I kind of thought of that. Yeah. There's something, too, there's a difference between prose and poetry. I only write prose, and one does have to think about one, what one is putting down. But you're able to sit. And write and then go back and edit. Mm-hmm. Where poetry's concerned, there's so much meticulous detailing that goes into it. Mm-hmm. I, you have to read something like that, like um, Rosabelle, and think every little detail was specifically chosen, thought about, looked over before it went in there. Yeah. But I do consider Grimke to be a queer writer. Okay. For very obvious reasons You're confident that, yeah, that we have discussed tonight. Because okay. <laughs> I would not be confident calling Cather a queer author. No, I wouldn't so, be either. Yeah. And you, you made me like double, like double back in doubt. What even like saying? Oh yeah, she's a queer writer. <laughs> with Grimke. Well, we said this at the beginning of the podcast. We are not here to be in an academic setting. We're not trying to write any papers and any Make grand any analysis that are facts. Right. These yeah. are opinion based. Mm-hmm. I would, and you know. When I talk about a queer writer, I'm not, oddly enough, I'm not talking about a writer who happens to be queer. I'm mm-hmm. talking about the work produced. Mm-hmm. So, like, I would not consider Cather a queer writer. I would, I don't interpret her work as queer. Oh, yes. I can see why you would totally, I would interpret Grimke's work as queer. Yeah. On many levels. Yes, definitely. So, there's something in me that is always seeking to kind of see, you know, her love poems. Yeah. They're beautiful. She's known for them in a lot of ways. So the fact that she is using imagery, I guess, that would be considered classic. Right. The simplest things in the world, nature and love. She's using this and she's talking about women. And it almost is like legitimizing. Naturalizing yeah. the, her homosexuality. Yes. It's like this is <clears throat> as natural as nature. That's a heavy pushback on yeah. her part. Yes. To her contemporary, contemporary criticism. Yeah, exactly. So, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just, like, reading too far. She does, well, you know, she uses nature to legitimize a lot of stuff, and I think in a very appropriate way. Mm-hmm. She did it with the black female body. Mm-hmm. The tree. To say, you know what? It's, it's, a, it's a body, and it's free-moving, and it's as powerful and important and fluid as any of the other ones. Yeah, exactly. Maybe even more so, in that it, it has the... It has a spring, I'm trying to figure out how to say this, the capacity for it to rejoice physically yeah. is heightened because it has been repressed. It's like a spring yeah. that's been loaded. And it's, it's like you said, with the hurricanes, and I said with the, the sidewalks, it's grown in exactly. unique and beautiful ways that mm-hmm. other trees haven't. Yeah. I really can see why you chose her for the Secrets episode. Definitely. I think it's, it's really direct and clear, rather than, you know, with Willa. Where it's a lot of speculation. Yeah, a lot of speculation. It's like, oh, you had an obvious secret. This is serious. And, yeah, and I'm so interested because they say like only a third of her work has been published. Mm-hmm. 
So is this the third that she might have been more comfortable with sharing with the world? Good and grief the, if it was. You know, yeah, imagine exactly. Imagine what's not been published. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just like, I'm really interested in that. And I really want to take a look at her, her work that focuses on race and read racial. Yeah. I mean, this is somebody that is, I mean, in terms of consciousness, mm-hmm. never heard of this woman. Yeah. Never heard of her works. Never touched it with a 10-foot pole. Mm-hmm. I am terribly interested in delving into some of her stuff. If yeah. it's, I mean, huh, Roosevelt, if it, if what she's done is anything like that, I've got to get into it. Yeah. I think this was a, a good choice. I agree. I think your author was a yes. great choice, and I, I'm really excited to do more. And it's interesting because we kind of chose these authors independently of, like, discussing it with one another. These women were contemporaries. Yeah, they were. I mean, they were born... Uh, about a decade apart and died about a decade apart but they lived to get uh, in New York at the same time yeah <laughs> so that's crazy it's it's interesting and um and yeah I think it bears mentioning the fact that Willa Cather won a Pulitzer Prize and we've never heard of Angela I'd never heard of Angelina Grimke <laughs> before night yeah exactly and these women were writing around the same time uh sure the subject matter that they broached was different but yeah. it just kind of makes yeah, you wonder if they were on each other's radars. That's what I'm wondering. <laughs> that Willa was... Cather, who was part of the literary elite of America at the time, even knew who she was. Yeah, exactly. I'd love so, to know. It would be interesting. And I, I think um, this has kind of inspired me tonight to look for more women authors. Yes. I mean, we. I mean, I was thinking when we were talking about this, especially with Grimke, I'm like, there's so many men that are so heavy in terms of like the American literary canon mm-hmm. like Fitzgerald Hemingway these men were riding around the same yeah. time and I'm like think of the women who were putting stuff out there yeah exactly and they got their work published but maybe it's just not circulated so I'm really interested in delving into this let's do it yeah women and, and also queer writers I want to read more yeah absolutely yeah. I've got a couple of those up my sleeve oh yay I'd like to pull out and discuss. can't wait Okay, so this has been the second episode of the Writer Who Reads podcast. I'm your host, Kate Austin. I'm Trapper Kinchin. Thanks for joining us as we try to read a little more, write a little better, and explore the human condition condition together.